0: Welcome to The Colour Green, a podcast exploring the connections between race, the environment and social justice. My name is Lola Young and I'm an independent crossbench peer in the House of Lords, but also incredibly interested in this area of work. So in each episode, I speak to an artist, activist or creative professional who's worked at the intersection of culture and climate to find out more about their work and their relationship with the environment. This podcast is brought to you by Julie's Bicycle, a London-based charity that supports and empowers the creative community to act on climate change and environmental sustainability. In this episode, I'm joined by Amma Josephine Budge, a speculative writer, artist, curator and pleasure activist. That sounds great, doesn't it? Amma is a convener of Images of Tomorrow Co-founder of the Batti Mama and a PhD candidate in climate change and pleasure practices in sub-Saharan Africa, Amma chose Hampstead Heath in North London for her walk. adventure this morning, Mm -hmm. so I don't know how you found that, Emma.
1: Uh, it was it was beautiful. It was very much the nature of Hampstead Heath for me to get lost and to get rained on and to walk <laughs> up many hills and down yes. many slopes.
0: Yeah, and get lost again. And get lost
1: again and follow a path and find a map and make the wrong turn and wonder who made the maps and how. Somebody
0: who obviously hadn't walked here.
1: <laughs> Clearly it was made far, far away. And it was beautiful. It's so nice to be in so much green when it's been so dry and yellow.
0: It's, it's great. And I'm so glad you chose this spot because to this spot, Hampstead Heath, this big spot but you know to me it's got such strong memories wedded to my childhood and mm. I wonder if it has the same kind or similar associations for you was this some, a place you used to come to as a child?
1: Yeah, I, I think my mum my brought me here for as, as far back as I can remember and so we, yeah, from when I was in the, the pram, we, we were coming round Hampstead Heath and we'd come by Kenwood House and up by Highgate Hill and we'd also go to the Ladies Pond um, to swim, to swim when you are older,
0: obviously. Yeah, they weren't Not when you were in a pram, when well, no,
1: they wouldn't let you in, even in. Oh, maybe they let me in armbands. It was right. very lax, they didn't have lifeguards like they have now. Or anything. Gosh, it was just very
0: those were the days, swim at your
1: own risk kind of thing. And it was great because it was, it was really, it was really sparse then. I met there, never, there were never that many people, mm-hmm. even now. I think I walk around, and I see so many people, and I think. Is it just my memory? But I never remember there being that many people mm. here, or well, maybe it was just when we came, mm-hmm. apart from, like, I remember coming here for the Eclipse and being on oh, Parliament Hill really? for, for an Eclipse.
0: So was it local to you then, Parliament mm, hillfields
1: Not really. I'm oh. I'm in kind of Dalston-Islington mm-hmm. area, and now it's just on the overground, but we just used to drive here, and I guess it wasn't that far for my mum to drive.
0: It's quite unusual, though, I think, because, I don't know, I think a lot of people associate i don't know i mean going to the park is something lots of people have always done obviously Mm. as long as they've been um open plots of land but i guess you know there's certain kinds of association for some people not everybody feels comfortable in wide open spaces Mm. i think some young people now don't really use parks in the same way maybe Mm. that we used to i don't know what Um, do you think i
1: think also parks seem to be getting smaller oh really i find that people are in like yeah, you know, big parks like Victoria Park or Hyde Park. They're kind of not very close to anyone's house, I guess, also. Mm. So it's also like, I remember when I was young, we'd have parties in Hyde Park. You know, oh, gosh. And get chased by the park police <laughs> after closing. Oh, right. But... People don't seem to go to a big park anymore. They kind of hang out in their local greens or their local downs in the same way. But I also think that because my mum grew up in the country, um, so she grew up kind of around, Hamps, Ham, thank you, around um
0: Ooh, um, the thanks is for thanks two please. amazing looking scones. Oh my god. With cream I mean, and jam they're cream teas. Cream teas at um, whatever ever time it is. It feels a bit decadent, it but I like think we should time. go for it I think, it? think we should go for it too. In yeah. between munches. I think we've
1: kind of deserved um, yeah, this think, walk. And yeah. uh, this, this cream tea, I think we've, we've earned it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think when I count um, my steps today, we'll, like, I'll feel. And like know my step
1: counter wasn't on. I was really annoyed. <laughs> Shame.
0: Sorry, <interrupted>. No, <laughs> it's
1: fine. The scones interrupted. Which is a great
0: interruption. (laughs) We're talking about how people have kind of um, changed their habits, really, potentially to to greens and that thing of not being
1: comfortable in wide open space is really key. So I think Mm. because my mum, my mum grew up in the country around kind of Alton. And so it was very normal for her to take me to very green spaces. Mm-hmm. And my granddad lives in Devon and so we were down there quite a lot and we'd go to the moors quite often. So I have a deep love of wide open spaces.
0: So, so in a way then, is, is that where your sort of environmental sensibility grew out from? Was it, was it a kind of natural consequence of that activity when you were younger? Or did you sort of, as it were, learn uh, mm. to be environmentally active so to speak
1: I think the active part it came later Mm. but definitely being environmentally aware was it's always been a big part of my of my life so I was was born in London um when I was nine we moved to Ghana where my father is from Mm -hmm. um and that obviously is just a completely different Mm. environment um I was talking to one of my aunts and who was remembering that because I actually was very annoyed that we moved to Ghana I left all my friends and everything and she said you know I remember you saying it's just this hot dusty place where my father happens to have been born you know it was not something I associated with then Mm -hmm. and it was really like the hot dustiness of Ghana which in some ways is not quite so dusty now it's really built up it's completely changed it's like shockingly changed in the last 15 years
0: I'd be interested to hear from you how you would kind of view those differences in terms of the relationship to the Mm. environment, whether it's the so-called natural environment or whether it's the built environment or the historic environment Mm. because I I would imagine it would be quite big cultural differences between the way in which people relate to that. It's a general Mm. kind of way. Mm. I don't know, what do you think? I mean, definitely. I think there,
1: obviously, people live very differently Mm. with the land and, because I lived in, in Accra, which is the capital, it is very, like, everyone's on top of each other and it is hot and dusty and there isn't much green but then you have places like um, Vol- the Volta region which is one of my favourite parts of, of Ghana which is incredibly green and mm. Luscious and the Volta Lake is actually it's the biggest man-made lake in Africa. I think it's, it's one of the biggest in the world and it was a huge valley that they burnt and turned into a lake to build for Nkrumah to build the Volta Dam. Mm-hmm. It's part of this whole like Ghana becoming completely self-sufficient
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, beautiful utopic moment uh, before the dam broke down which many of its turbines don't work now and so I really remember that duck's of the heat Mm. and then the cool leafy area and I I was actually born in the water I was born in a in a
0: not in the lake
1: not in the lake that would have been incredibly unhygienic (laughs) in a paddling pool which Uh I'm not saying it was that hygienic but in London I was Mm. born in a oh I forgot a wasp friend
0: oh right bit of the natural environment bit of extra protein some of my no I'm vegetarian can't have that I think it's gone
1: yeah have to eat protein. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, not wasp based. Not wasp based. Yes, yeah, so I was born in this paddling pool, so I came out into the water, and I always loved the water. So I spent a lot of time in the lake and in the sea. We were, you know, I wasn't on the beach every weekend in Ghana. Wow. Um, and even in in the UK, if we went down to Devon, kind of once a month, we'd drive down there. I was in the sea, so I think I really, it was very much a part of my body. And then when I was like thirteen, we moved to Cornwall, and so
0: it was, it was very much a part of this wasp, the wasp. you cannot have askons <laughs> okay they're, they're not, there's no argument about this just go away
1: um it was very much a part of i felt a deep affinity to the land especially in cornwall a deep affinity to the green and a deep affinity to wide open spaces um but being active i think i was always active about my mom i was brought very in a very feminist kind of very like feminist lesbian 80s movement household about women and gender and sexuality yeah. and, and- That was the the active side when I was brought up. Was that
0: related at all to issues around race and the environment?
1: So no, that came quite a lot later. And because my mum is white, I really had a kind of racial... um, I mean, I feel like to call it an awakening sounds like it was like a dreamy thing that happened. It was like a very brutal, brutal awakening. And that was when I went to Glasgow. I went to Glasgow for uni and found myself in an extraordinarily all-white environment. Um, and then I became really aware of race and racism and I mean like obviously I've been aware of it but it mm. was it was it was very much it was very personal to me in a different way mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. in Ghana race and racism is completely different it's mm-hmm. a different it's a, it's a different kind of land landfield mm-hmm. landmine landmine yeah field yeah. Mine? yeah yeah a different landscape full of mines <laughs> to navigate minefield minefield that's the thank word we're you. looking for thank yeah. you yeah, and so I think it was then also through that movement and there were a lot of people in Glasgow who were very interested in the environment, but all white. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of became interested in it and then very interested in how it wasn't something I was really allowed to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it, and all of the... I did performance art and all of the work I was supposed to be making was supposed to be around blackness. Mm-hmm. And I was allowed to talk about being queer, but I was not allowed to talk about the environment. And So oh, I became very interested in, you know, why, as a black woman, can I not talk about the environment? Where did you
0: feel that kind of pressure, if I can call it that, that made you feel that you weren't able to speak about the environment.
1: I think it came from different places in different ways mm. so I think in, there is a thing around the environment being seen as a privileged issue to fight for by um, whom Se- seen by whom seen by, by lots of people mm. I'd say definitely by people of colour that I know obviously not generally mm. but a lot of people there is a view of you know we have to talk about that liberation mm. first mm. and then we can maybe you know. And I don't think it's, it's not even like then we can talk about women I don't think the environment is in the radar in the same mm. way it's only now that I start to hear kind of really Lots of um, activists of colour and black liberationists talking about climate change and going, Oh, yes, of course, this is affecting us. Of course, black and brown people are on the front lines of climate change, both in London, Mm. around London City Airport, Mm. and of course, like in sub Saharan Africa and and, and South Asia and and South America and many other parts of the world, Caribbean, Pacific Islands. And so I think it feels very new. And in some ways, I was quite far ahead. And I know a few people who felt like they were like the only people of colour, you know, talking about the environment. There's always that. a huge room of white people and even now I go to events and conferences and I'm one of one, two, mm-hmm. three people and we all kind of go, hi, it's so nice to see you again, you know nice to meet you, how did you get into this but then I also think it was a pressure from the white people in the environmentalist mm. movement that well, shouldn't you be talking about race, mm. isn't that your area yeah,
0: that's your pigeonhole, that, back in exactly, the cupboard kind exactly.
1: of you, you exactly, you don't have space mm-hmm. to be here, this is our thing mm-hmm. and so I think it's like that really is a space that has to be fought for. And that's really where, like, my activism continues to, to kind of grow and flourish, is is holding space in black spaces, in decolonial spaces and environmental spaces for black, and particularly black women, black queer people, black trans and non-binary people who are absolutely on the front, front, front lines to, like, have space and have a voice and not be spoken about.
0: If If we think about it in terms of intersectionality, as mm. the current term goes, we would also perhaps throw into that mixed issue of class because as you pointed out it's mainly middle class white people who yeah. feel that they own or we feel that they own, or and or we feel that they own this subject yeah and so maybe it's particularly difficult then for um i don't know but for maybe it's particularly difficult for black or people of color who are also from the working classes um to feel that there's any kind of engagement or anybody wants them to be engaged with this subject. So how do you deal with that? What, what would be your kind of recipe as it were yeah. for making it um, feel like it's something that we should all be owning and yeah. participating in trying to do something about yeah. it? I mean, just a little question right, to emphasize those grey cells. Just give
1: me a little, like, yeah. know, here's my resume just give book. Give just me solve, three seconds. You know? yeah. um, I mean, I think I totally agree. And, um, you know, I do, I have a white parent. I have a proximity to whiteness. Um, I have a privilege that means that I can navigate spaces more easily than other people. And have grown up being in those spaces, which is, I think, actually really really a key difference and so what I do is try to be in that space and make space for all people and I do a lot of ushering in Mm -hmm. and I do a lot of so I work on this black tech festival called Afro Tech Fest um, for example and I'm like I want to be the green champion of Afro Tech Fest and how if we're talking about blackness and tech we also need to be talking about the environment so Mm -hmm. how can we be an environmentally friendly festival how can we get the carbon footprint of our website and use recycled merchandise and how can we think about you know where the memory is being held you know is it being held in some huge Huge database in the middle of the desert, which is you know costing huge amounts of energy to keep cool. You know, which lots of energy and emails are. Emails all have a carbon footprint. So I kind of try to bring the green conversation into black spaces that exist.
0: It Must be quite difficult because I mean it is anywhere. I think once once the kind of penny is dropped, as it were, to then try and let it inform every aspect Mm. of work that you do is really hard. And life, and life, yes. So and of course you'll always be caught out in some respect, nobody can be 100% pure and perfect, I don't think, anyway. And then there's that whole issue about judging people or being judged because you've you know, done something or not yeah. done something you should. Yeah. So, again, you know, it's about how can we, particularly in the creative world, which mm. I, I regard tech as part of that as well. i, I, I like know, to. But also I know you as an artist. Mm. Um, you know, how do you let that inform and shape Uh, your creative world as Um, well
1: I seek to make it manageable I seek to make it manageable so when I write I write I'm a science fiction writer and I'm a curator and I think about how can I curate conversations visual vocal fictional conversations that make climate change and science fiction manageable not overwhelming, depressing, life shattering, you know, I'm a single mum, I'm working five jobs, how can I come home and then think about recycling? Exactly. Right? Which is totally valid. Yes. It's totally valid. And and I think I'm not a single mom. that was an example. Yeah, yeah, um, I got that. Just to clarify. <laughs> it's about making it manageable, it's about making it exciting and inspiring. I think all of the, like, growing with kids projects that are happening, mm. trying to get kids to eat vegetables because they're growing their own vegetables exactly. is amazing. There are lots of amazing, especially, like, black activists who are also yeah. championing community gardening, uh-huh. and that's not really being acknowledged as something that we are doing in the community and have been doing. So I think it's small, manageable ways of making it exciting and making it not an overbearing reality but I think it's also about saying this is for and about you and you have absolutely a right and and there's a necessity for you to be
0: involved in this conversation it's it's also about isn't it kind of normalization not of the situation that we've landed ourselves in but Mm -hmm. in terms of what you were just now talking about in terms of yes you know you can grow your food just it's not a big deal in the end actually Mm. you know just you just need to keep doing it and it's a fascinating thing to do when you see something growing and so on and it's
1: progress not perfection exactly of course and And also you know you, you you pick your battles you pick your front lines and you remain like critical and aware my my family live in Ghana I fly out there to see them once a year. Mm. I flew to Johannesburg earlier this year to talk about climate change. Like I The know, irony in that situation. I know,
0: I know, but then sometimes, you know, at the end of the day, you sort of think, yes, you can video conference, and I think those facilities have gotten quite a lot better. But we are humans, and what we like mm. is human interaction. Mm. And however good a video conference is, it isn't mm. quite the same as mm. being face to face. And I think particularly when you want to enthuse people, Mm. to make people feel passionate and inspired, inspired. you you need that kind of human contact. And, yeah, I mean, but it's one of those things, especially in the kind of society in which we live, for those people who want to rubbish any kind of progressive social movement, yeah. they're very quick to point out, oh, virtue signalling, you know, you keep talking about this, but actually your practice is very different to that, so justify that. Same around clothing, you know, and fashion, and fashion, industries like that. So as you say, we're not sort of... Yes, we might aspire to perfection, but in the knowledge that in the end, you know, whatever we can do, we need to do something and and not just sit by So if I were to say to you, you know, in terms of where you'd like to be, perhaps in ten years' time. Let's say you're you're sitting maybe on your beach in Ghana, and you're thinking, "Oh, that was a great ten and years." A mango tree. It's got to be a mango tree. Okay, okay. fresh mangoes dangling mm. in front of your nose. Then.
1: okay, I'm there.
0: Okay, you're there. So, what kinds of things would you like to see happen?
1: What am I in the world, yeah. or um, in
0: the around this issue of the environment and sustainability, and, and how gosh. we can support those who would like more people of colour involved in in that whole sort of area. And whilst, I'll give you what I'll give you a little time to think about it yes. because meanwhile, I'm going to ask you to tell us what seed you chose, mm. plant it, and that's all kind of time. I'm sure you can multitask and plant your seed at the same time as thinking about okay. how you're going to tell me how you were going to save the world. No pressure, Anna. <laughs> just you know, when I'm you've gonna, left here, I'm going to
1: start by planting my start lemon seed. Start by planting
0: your lemon seed, okay. which is amazing. So. We've got a jar with what looks like really rich, composty, soily things.
1: Open it in front of the microphone. Oh, yeah. Because it's like a really nice, um, gratifying sound. It's like an opening smell. Does it smell? Does it it smell
0: it? Yeah. It can't smell very much. It smells kind of like coconut i no. put my nose, oh it does actually a Was there coconut oil was there in, coconut the, in the oil? jar? There was coconut yeah, in the oil jar. in the jar Well Before? done, I'm Well, I mean... So maybe there'll be a hybrid cocoa lemon oh. then, Or lemon cocoa Can you imagine Lemco. coconut tasting co
1: cocoa. coemon co Coemon.
0: Coemon. co em I like that like... no, it should have your name in it because yeah. <laughs> Anyway, no,
1: I don't need to be patriarchal about okay, it. Okay then. Um, it's a beautiful jar um, that's been has my name beautifully written on it. Emma's lemon tree, although I would like to say this is the lemon tree's lemon tree, mm. not my lemon tree. Mm. Um, but um, the lemon tree and I were going to collaborate mm. on um, this this, seed, this uh, planting. So I have a beautiful little um, container here of, of lemon seeds,
0: and, and they've been soaked in order to pump them up a bit I guess. Yeah,
1: to juice them up, I mm.
0: guess. I bet that smells lemony, doesn't it?
1: Actually, it's it's quite it's quite subtle. Mm, it's quite really? subtle. And I've read a little bit up about planting lemon trees and I, I wanted a citrus a citrus plant, partly mm. because growing up in Ghana I'm a big fan of citrusy things because they keep mosquitoes away. Oh. um but also because I wanted a tree and not a flower or a mm. or a small kind of bush. I wanted something that was um gonna have a life that I could grow now and that might be there in you know we've walked past some trees we were talking about that, um have, may have been here for hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of years, of years yes. And I would like something that might be here in, let's say, fifty. Mm. I'll set my sights a little. Well,
0: I think that's probably realistic because you're going to get a tree straight away, about, are you? Well, yeah. No, but also I
1: think with the way the environment's going to change, <laughs> yeah. all the nature around us is going to have to adapt radically, mm-hmm. as are we. Mm. Um, so let's. I'm going to juice this lemon tree up with all of my best adaptive love. Mm. So I'm just. Let's direct positive, love, vibes, positive at vibes at the soil.
0: And all the time whilst you're thinking about what else you're going to do. Plant, I appreciate pl- planting a lemon tree is really important. We'd like to have a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more. I
1: mean, if all you can do right now is plant a lemon tree, then mm, that, that's, that's awesome. Fine. Okay? Yeah. Um, I think for me, the things that I would like to see are, which is starting to happen, I'd like to see young people of colour really engaging in their environment, not, you know, in urban areas as well as in the country and really pressuring their elders. Mm. You know, I want to see them pressuring their parents and their, you know, city council and their school to MPs and, and their MPs mm. and their and their lords and ladies and their baronesses <laughs> yeah. to really just be like this is our world that we're talking about you know it's much more their world than it is ours in mm-hmm. many ways that, that that's being discussed so I'd like to see that and I'd like to see them doing that creatively as well as um, through traditional kind of lobbying techniques mm-hmm. I'd like to see a world of science fiction that is being read by politicians and MPs and tech makers uh-huh. and Silicon Valley yeah. people in Silicon Valley should be reading uh-huh. black people science fiction uh-huh. and I think more than anything I would like to see people working together um, to imagine and to enact radical and that they should just be normal and, but are seen as radical ways of being together and that means being together with all living things not just together with each other
0: so if I were to focus you down, because obviously, you know, I big couldn't question. disagree. Yeah, it's a big question, and it invites a really generic response, and I think that's absolutely right give what a you I generic said? response? No, well, it, <laughs> I mean, what else can you say? But um, I, if you could just give us in maybe one sentence, one final sentence, what would be the thing that you will do once you've left here that you might not have thought of or might not have had on your agenda to do which which will help to contribute to that scenario developing it might be something quite simple like write your next book quicker so that we can all read it um oh, but um, I've just taken that from you haven't I
1: <laughs> I think I really want to write my book and my book is for young people and I want I want to write a book that inspires young people to feel they
0: can change the world Thank you once again, Amma. Like me, Amma spent happy hours on Hampstead Heath as a child. Unlike me, she has fond memories of swimming in the ponds up there with her mum. Amma's moving between Devon, London and Ghana is indicative of a very particular kind of diaspora experience and opens up the possibilities of truly transnational perspectives. It widens the ways in which our debates, our discussions and activism are played out. Anna articulated very clearly what it's like when other people try to define you, try to define your experience for you and constrain the ways in which you think. You know, people of colour have concerns that go beyond ethnicity and identity and can talk about things in addition to race. And that really needs to be remembered. Thanks for listening to The Colour Green. Check out the show notes for important links to Julie's Bicycle and our guest's work if you like the series please like or rate us on whatever platform you're listening on to stay updated about our work in arts sustainability and climate justice follow us on twitter at Bicycle.